we are in the middle of a series on our core values as a church. This morning, I want to talk about our value that Jesus is our model. Uh, kids are cute, aren't they? Right? Like, like most kids are cute, right? They are. Their little faces, you know, their pudgy little smiles, the way they say things or mispronounce things, in other words. Uh, they're just so adorable and innocent. Kids are cute. And uh, I remember when um, Niall was about two years old. Okay, so Niall is Morgan's um, son. And, and Niall would do this thing where he'd run around in his diaper and he had this little belly. They're just like hang, hang over his diaper. And he was just so cute and innocent. He was like beautiful, like blonde hair, just running around, you know, being himself. And um, Morgan's um, husband, Marcus, is one of the best dads that I know. And Niall wants to be just like his dad, right? He wants to do everything that Marcus is doing. And uh, at the time when, when Niall was two, he had this toy that he called his Momomo, okay? It was a toy lawnmower. And what Niall would do is he'd push this little t lawnmower next to his dad as he cut the grass like five times a week, okay? And uh, this was like their father-son bi um, bonding time, right? And um, the thing is, is Niall knew and we all knew that his toy lawnmower was powerless. It had no engine, no blade, no power. Meaning it didn't matter how long and how hard he tried to cut the grass, it was never going to make a dent on that lawn because it had no power. It didn't work. And I believe that so many of us are pushing through life and we lack power. Our lives in many ways feel powerless. Like maybe you're here and you've tried to follow Jesus, but it just isn't working. You've read the Bible, you've come to church, you've done all of the Christian things you're supposed to. But if we're honest, many of us feel as if this just isn't working. The philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard writes, quote, that there is a great deal of disappointment expressed today about the character and effects of Christian people. He goes on to say most of the disappointment comes from Christians themselves who find that what they profess just isn't working. Many of us feel this exact way. We feel as if our belief in Jesus has yet to transform our lives. You know, and yet Jesus said that his followers would, quote, know the truth and the truth would set them free. But if you're honest here this morning, maybe you feel like you just don't live a free life. Jesus also said that those who would have faith in him would have faith to, quote, move mountains, Guys, if we're honest, many of us don't have the faith to get out of bed in the morning, let alone faith to move mountains. Can we just be honest for a moment as we start and say, this just isn't working? Jamie Smith, in his book, uh, You Are What You Love, tells a story of a time that he was uh, reading this book about health and wellness, okay, something that I need to read. And uh, he was reading about the importance of well-sourced, healthy foods, and he was underlining as he read quote after quote, just absorbing everything and taking it all in. Then all of a sudden, he looked up from his book only to realize that as he had been reading this book, he has been sitting in the Costco food court stuffing his face with a hot dog, okay? The information that he was reading and learning had failed to get from his head into his life. There was a huge gap between what he was learning and how he was living. In the same way, there's often a huge gap between what we think we believe and what our actions reveal about what we truly believe. This can't be the way that things are supposed to be, can they? Like Jesus came to transform us from the inside out. So how do we experience this transformation that Jesus came and had on offer? 
The disciple John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, says this in 1 John 2, 6. He says, whoever claims to live in him, this is a shorthand way of saying, if anyone claims to be a Christian, if whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. In other words, to follow Jesus is to follow his way of life. We, and, and this is what we believe at Pork Hell's Church. We believe that Jesus is our model. We believe that we follow him, meaning we pattern or model our lives after Jesus. We believe that Jesus is our model for how to be human in the world. We believe that he is our model for how to live. In fact, this is what discipleship is all about. The word disciple uh, comes from the Greek word mathetes, and it means to be a student or a learner. It's where we get our English word math or mathematics. A more helpful modern translation that might be more accurate to our time and place is to be an apprentice. Put simply, a disciple is one who apprentices or follows Jesus' way of life because Jesus has become their model. Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, quote, The disciple is one who intend on becoming like Christ-like, and so dwelling in both his faith and practice, systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. Put another way, a disciple is one who models their life after Jesus. Now, the word mathetes, both Talmudim and mathetes, shows up 269 times in our Bibles, the word disciple. But, but the word Christian, the word that we commonly use for somebody who follows Jesus, only appears in our New Testament a total of three times. Meaning the overwhelming emphasis and focus of the New Testament is on discipleship to Jesus. Jesus' invitation was not simply to believe in him or become a Christian. His invitation was to become a disciple. But can this be possible? Can we be those who model our lives after Jesus? In other words, can we be people who actually live like Jesus? A couple of weeks ago, Lorel and I and our family went to Seattle, okay? Amazing city. And uh, we went there to go to the zoo and do a bunch of stuff. I'm not sure what you think about that, but that's what we did, okay? And uh, we went to this vegan ice cream uh, shop. This, this makes it all better, okay? So we go to vegan ice cream shops. No animals were harmed in the making of this ice cream. It's called Frankie and Joe's. If you haven't heard of it, it's my favorite to you. Write that down, save it for later. My wife loves this spot. So we go to Frankie and Joe's. And as we walk in, I just spend way too long trying sample after sample after sample as you do, okay? You guys all do this too. And um, once I tried enough samples, I looked to the lady and said, I'm gonna grab a scoop of you know, this ice cream. And I order mine. My wife looks at me in such a way where she looks at me, she's like, I thought we were sharing, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm ordering my, my own. What are you getting? And, and she said, oh, you're serious. Guys, I was dead serious. This stuff is like super good, okay? This is how many of us approach following to Jesus. We look at him and say, oh, you're serious. You, you actually want me to live out the Sermon on the Mount. You want me to become a person of love. You actually want me to be a disciple and model my life after you. Like Jesus can't be serious, can he? But what if Jesus was serious? What if it is possible, as Paul to told the Ephesian church, to quote, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children? What if we can actually become like Jesus? What if we can actually become the kind of people who live like him in the world? In fact, this is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. In fact, he goes on to say, say that they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Was he actually serious? Right? There's no way that Jesus expects his followers to live like him. Like, like I'm just forgiven, that's it. I can't live like Jesus. And we assume 
I think, wrongly assume that Jesus did the stuff that he did and lived the kind of life that he did simply because he's God. And then we make the further assumption that I cannot live the life that Jesus lived, nor do the stuff that he did because I am not God. But what if Jesus didn't live the life that he did, nor do the works that he did because he's God? Right? And maybe you're sitting here like, wait, but wait, Jesus did miracles, like walk on water. There's no way I'm turning water into cab sap. Like there's just no way I'm going to do that. Jesus did miracles because, well, he's God. What if that isn't true? Now I'm walking on, on thin ice here for many of you, but think of this, Moses, Elijah, the prophets, the disciples, many people in the Bible do miracles and are not God. Many of them, in fact, raise the dead, walk on water, do all of the kinds of things that we see Jesus doing. And we do not bow down and worship them and, and claim that they are divine. These are human beings who did miracles simply because they were humans empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus did miracles. He lived a fully human life empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is my point. Jesus was a human being, is a human being, and forever will be a human being. This is the message of the incarnation. And he lived his life on earth, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, Paul alludes to this when he says in Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So Jesus, who is God, came and lived among us in a fully human way, meaning he laid aside his God powers. Now, he didn't ever stop being God, but he took on the limitations of living a human life. Jesus lived as a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what this means for us is that Jesus did everything in his life as a human being. And we think of, of Jesus as God in a bod, right? Jesus is God in a body. He's got a body, but he really does everything through like this, like, you know, magic trick, like God thing, right? God's just like, Jesus just like moving around in his God powers. That is not true. That was like actually condemned as an ancient heresy. Jesus was fully human, meaning he got hungry. He was tired. He grew up. He had to learn how to lace up his sandals, just like his peers. Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted with sin. Matthew 24, 36 says that he didn't know when he was coming back, meaning Jesus became fully human. And then Jesus, as a fully human being, looks to his fathers and says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. He actually meant it. He meant that we would live the kind of life that he lived, because Jesus is our example. So how did Jesus do this stuff? Well, he lived life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if we have the same spirit Jesus had, then we can live the life that Jesus lived. Now, Ben's going to talk more about that next week. But this is what led the beloved disciple John to write, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. This is what discipleship is all about, modeling our lives after Jesus. Now, we think in the modern West as discipleship, as something that is optional. We think that a disciple is, by definition, a next-level super-Christian, right? Like, there's no way I could be a disciple. And we think it's a non-essential add-on to the Christian life, but not to Jesus, not to the authors of the New Testament Scripture, not to the early church. This is, in fact, what you converted to. When you became a Christian, you actually converted to discipleship to Jesus, it's what you became or didn't become. So to not become a disciple is to decide not to follow Jesus. 
Dallas Willard says again, the governing assumption today among professing Christians is that we can become Christians and never become disciples. The assumption is that you can believe enough to go to heaven when you die, but you don't actually need to follow him while you live. The result is that we have many professing Christians who have never truly decided to follow Jesus. Again, Dallas Willard says this, the great issue facing the world today is whether those who identify as Christians will become disciples. See, neither Jesus nor the New Testament scriptures teach that you can become a Christian, but not a disciple. A.W. Tozer, the great scholar, said that this is a notable heresy. And he described it as, quote, the widely accepted, is widely accepted that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as Savior and that we have the right to postpone obedience to him as Lord as long as we want to. He goes on to state that salvation apart from obedience is unknown to the sacred scriptures. Here's my point. Discipleship to Jesus is not an optional add-on. It is the invitation of Jesus. Jesus said, whoever wants to become my disciple. This was his invitation to his original 12. This was his invitation to all that would follow him. And it's his invitation still to us today. And the invitation is to become a disciple, not a Christian. This is why we see the word Christian only appearing in the New Testament three times, while the word disciple shows up a total of 269 times. The overwhelming emphasis of the message of Jesus is come and be my disciple. This is the call of Jesus to apprentice his way of life. Now, a disciple is one who not only believes in Jesus, but believes in him to the point that their life is actually modeled after Jesus. In other words, their beliefs have gotten so far down to the core of their being that they act, it actually forms how they live. They've become an apprentice, a follower, or a disciple of Jesus. Now, this is what it meant to be a disciple in the first century, an apprentice. Now, in the, the modern West, if you were an apprentice, maybe of an electrician, what you would do is you'd probably take a set amount of time, let's say four years, and you would devote those four years to following the movement of a master electrician or whatever they're called, right? And you would, over those four years, want to become the kind of person who does what that electrician does. So that at the end of your apprenticeship, you are able to become a electrician yourself. This is what discipleship was in the first century, right? The goal was to become like your teacher, to become like your rabbi. And this is precisely what Jesus says in Luke 6.40. He says the student, the word here is actually disciple. The disciple is not above their rabbi, but everyone, every disciple who is fully trained will be like their rabbi. See, for Jesus, the end goal of apprenticeship is to become like him. But this idea of discipleship wasn't a Christian or novel idea. It didn't originate with Jesus. In fact, great philosophers like Aristotle and Plato had disciples long before Jesus. And the great rabbis and teachers of the Jewish tradition had disciples as well. So Jesus was simply one of many Jewish rabbis with disciples. See, this was the baseline of apprenticeship. The disciple or apprentice doesn't just want to know their rabbi's teaching. They want to become like him. They want to get, get to know the teaching and life of the rabbi so far that it actually becomes part of their being. In fact, the way that it work, worked during those times is that a young boy would go to school at the age of five or six. And at the age of five or six, that child would begin to memorize the Torah. Genesis to Deuteronomy memorized, okay? And by the age of 10, most kids would finish school and move on to work in the family business. But the best of the best, the top, the cream of the crop, would go on to memorize all of the Hebrew 
um, scriptures and continue their schooling. Genesis to Malachi memorized. Now, by the age of 13 or 14, most of people went on to learn the family business and continue the trade. But the best of the best of the best, if you were really good in school and had what it takes to become a rabbi yourself one day, you would approach a rabbi and become one of their disciples. And if the rabbi really thought that you had what it takes, if you had enough chutzpah in your being to become a rabbi one day, they would look at you and say the words, come follow me. This was a shorthand way of saying, come embody my way of life and my teaching. Come and follow my way of life. Does this sound familiar? Come follow me. It should. It shows up in the New Testament over 20 times from the mouth of Jesus. Follow me. This would be crystal clear when Jesus looks at us and he says, come follow me. These were the words of a rabbi inviting you to become his apprentice. But Jesus doesn't call the best of the best. He doesn't call the cream of the crop. He goes to some guys who are already learning the family trade, meaning they're high school dropouts. These are the guys who, who didn't have what it takes to go on and further their education. He calls fishermen and tax collectors. He calls carpenters and, and people who are learning the family business. They didn't have what it takes, right? This would be me, right? At the end of high school, I wanted to go to Bible college. So I took a job on a carpentry crew, okay? Big mistake. And uh, I had a lot of fun, but basically all summer, I just picked up wood and nails, okay? It was really fun, but there wasn't a hope in the world that I would ever become a skilled carpenter one day. This is these dudes, right? They didn't have the Torah memorized. I bet like Peter couldn't keep his mouth shut during like Torah school. And, uh, you know, the disciples are just like goofing off in the Leviticus class, right? Like, I, I don't know this for sure, but I've got a hunch. And if you're here and you resonate with that, maybe you're, th you're sitting here and you're thinking, there's no way in the world I could ever become like Jesus. Like if he only knew my shortcomings, my sin, and my mess. Just look at the disciples. Jesus thought that they had what it takes to become like him. And he looks at you and Jesus actually thinks you have what it takes. So he says to you, come follow me. In fact, not only can you become like God, but it was the, the reason you were created. Genesis 1.26 says that God created you in his image. In other words, you were created with the intent to pe become like God. This is what godliness means or godlikeness. And as a disciple of Jesus, our goal is to be with and become like Jesus. Again, John says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. In other words, to follow Jesus is to adopt his way of life. And deep down, my assumption is we all want this. We ache for this kind of change. We ache and long for this kind of life. We want deep down to grow, deep down to change, to become like Jesus, but we feel stuck. We feel powerless and we feel like change is impossible. See, some of you are stuck in a pattern of sin that you just can't seem to get out of. Others of us are, are caught up in destructive ways of thinking. And you're just like crippled by anxiety. And you don't know a way out. You don't know if change is possible for you. You've tried it all, but it doesn't seem uh, to, to help. No matter what you do, you can't seem to change, right? Like you read the Bible, but it doesn't help. You show up to church and you get nothing. You read a book, you take a class, you listen to a podcast, you do whatever it takes, but it just doesn't work. Many of us feel totally powerless. We, f we think to ourselves, I'll never change, but what if it doesn't have to be like this? What if Jesus modeled a different way? What if Jesus was showing us a different way to be human in the world? What if we can become like our rabbi, Jesus? What if Jesus is our model? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, which is a great assumption, 
Like holding up Jesus as a model of how to live is like holding up Tiger Woods as a model for how to hit a golf ball, right? Like if I trained every single day for like a decade, eight hours a day and flexed muscles that I don't have, right? If I just like gave everything I had, just held Tiger Woods as my model, there wouldn't be a hope in the world that I would be ever able to hit a golf ball like him. It just wouldn't happen, right? Like a good example is great. I get it. Jesus is our model, but that doesn't do much to help me change. Like what good is it having Jesus as our example? I get it. We need more than an example. We need a savior. Because the problem is so much deeper than surface level misbehavior. Our problem is bigger than doing the wrong things. We are lost in our sin. We are bent towards selfishness and sin. That's why we can't seem to stop sinning no matter how hard we try. Something in us is fundamentally broken and we need saving. See, God created us in his image. He created us to be like him and to reflect what he is like into the world. But when we sinned, we rejected this calling of reflecting God's image and we failed to be like him. And the result is that we became infected with the sickness of sin. So God, who is all loving and all kind, who is all powerful and good, did the only necessary thing and he became human himself. Think of the sacrifice. God didn't just become a human in a, in a time and place. God decided forever to become human. God, Jesus ascended into heaven with a human body. He is forever changed as a human. He became human, not just to bring about our forgiveness of sin, but to save us from sin itself. In other words, Jesus lived out the vocation that we were intended to live. He rightly reflected God's image into the world. He lived as a human being the way that God always intended Adam to live in the garden. And Jesus invited us to follow him. But here's what we need to understand. This is the crucible of my, my point this morning. Jesus' call to follow him is a call to die. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone wants to be my apprentice, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. His invitation of being a disciple is an invitation to die. This is a call to be crucified alongside him because when you die with Jesus, you are also resurrected with him. The only way to the resurrection life that we all long for is crucifixion. See, as you die with him, you are resurrected with him and you become a new creation, which is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has already come. The old has already gone. The new is here. In other words, the old you is dead. The sinful you is crucified. That part of you that just can't seem to change has been nailed to the cross of Christ. It's not who you are anymore. It has been buried into the ground. And the reality is, if you decide to follow Jesus, you take up your cross and you are crucified with him. But the good news is that you are raised to life with him. So the reality is that's not who you are anymore. That part of you that's bent towards sin is dead. It's crucified. It is no longer. The new has come. So yeah, it might be true that you still sin, but that's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are at the core of your being. That you was crucified. That you was nailed to the cross of Christ and it is dead. That's why Paul can say, quote, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
You have been crucified with Jesus. And if you have been crucified with him, you have been raised with Jesus. You have been made new. Do you understand what this means? This changes our entire conversation this morning. Because following Jesus is simply putting into practice the person that you are destined to become. It's putting into practice the person that you already are. Following Jesus is about living now the person that you will be for all of eternity. It's putting into practice the reality that that eternity has broken into the present. This is how we live eternal life in the here and now. So what does this look like? Well, practically, it means that we can now take on the lifestyle and practice of Jesus. We adopt his way of life. This is what we call the spiritual practices. Now, if you're like me, right, you're thinking spiritual practices, this sounds like really weird, really strange, kind of mystical. I don't know if I'm into it, right? And it sounds complicated. And you're like, what does this even look like? Like, do I have to like speak in tongues naked on the roof or something? Like, listen, it doesn't have to be weird or like kinky or Catholic or anything like that. Like your marriage can be, but following Jesus doesn't have to be, right? See, following Jesus doesn't have to be complicated or mysterious. It is not easy, but it's definitely not complicated. Simply put, spiritual practices are practices, rhythms, things that Jesus did from his life that we adopt and embody to follow his way of life. Spiritual practices are the way that we learn to live like Jesus. They are the rhythms and practices found from the life of Jesus himself that we embody to practice becoming like Jesus. This is what every disciple would do under a rabbi. They would embody their way of life. So things like reading scripture, Sabbath, fasting, Uh, spiritual gifts, loving your neighbor. These are the practices of Jesus. And Dallas Willard defined them this way. He said, spiritual practices are, quote, activities that are in our power that enable us to become what we cannot by direct effort. In other words, we practice the way, as we practice the way of Jesus, we make a thousand choices to do something that does not come naturally. So that on the thousand and first time, we do it automatically. Take reading the Bible, for example. To make a thousand decisions to open up the Bible day after day after day is to take one small step toward becoming the the sort of person who by second nature thinks and acts more like Jesus. See, through the practices of Jesus, we practice a thousand times what Jesus would have done so that on the thousand and first time, it becomes second nature. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the here and now. It's to apprentice his way of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what if we live like this, Porkel's Church? What if we actually in communities embodied the way of life of Jesus, which is what we will be doing for the next few decades, okay? We are going to be following Jesus' way of life in communities. Uh, Community Basics is happening this Thursday right here at 7 p.m. And for the next several years, we, we will, as a community, follow Jesus' way of life. Like, what if we did this? What if we actually became disciples? right? Because I believe the world does not need more people who claim to be Christian, but do not live like Christ. The call of Jesus is not to understand the gospel. It is to believe it. It is to actually put our whole life onto it and to actually model our life after Jesus because it's actually true. The call of Jesus is to become a disciple, to model our lives after him. And as we do, we will become the kinds of people who will impact the world for Jesus. Pork Hills Church, Jesus is our model. Let's pray.